everybody. Welcome to episode 68 of Waking Up to Narcissism. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, the host of the Virtual Couch Podcast. And one that I would be just so grateful that you, if you will go check that out, is the Waking Up to Narcissism Premium Question and Answer Podcast. So the links for all of the above will be in the show notes. Just look for a, uh, it's a link tree slash virtual couch. And then that has links to everything, including marriage course, marriage workshop, Instagram accounts and TikTok and all those sort of things. But let's get to today's topic. I want to start with another poem that comes from my women's private Facebook group. I wish I was a poet. I wish I was creative and thought in the ways that the people that are sharing their talents around this difficult topic of narcissism and emotional immaturity. So I'm going to start with a poem and then... Boy, today we're going to talk about the the effects of narcissism and extreme emotional immaturity on children. And someone in the group, they had a teenage son write a letter to their dad, and they said that they were okay if we just kept the name out, anonymous, and shared that on the podcast. And it's powerful. And then I found a really good article by someone that has done some amazing work with narcissism and emotional immaturity, Carol McBride. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's author of a book called Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Healing the Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers. And I'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. If you just read the reviews alone, it just speaks to people that weren't even aware of the effect of having a a narcissistic parent and specifically a narcissistic mother had on their life. So Let's get to the show. Let me start with this poem from one of the women in the group, and she titled it, Let Me Go. Let me go, release me, let me be on my way, and know this, there's not one bit of me that would willingly stay. You revealed to me a part of you I've not seen before, and I'll never forget. It was cold, contemptuous, a looming shadow of terrifying threat. You acted fast at the start, setting me up for this gradual fall, conditioning my mind so I couldn't think clearly at all. Confusion and self-doubt became the biggest parts of me. You took my freedom, stripped away my self-esteem. It was inevitable, impossible to see. You know I'd never hit you, is what you would always say. Is that reassuring? I wondered in a hazy fog of dismay. Silently, I thought, if you did, at least I would understand this underlying feeling that somehow I was under your command. You worked relentlessly. I was questioning myself every single day. Pieces of me were being chipped at, gradually floating away. I started not to recognize the person I saw in the mirror. The truth is, I was too trusting, too naive, even to consider. Why would a person want to do this to another human? Dismantle their brain, keep them prisoner in a state of delusion? Surely only a person who's hurting to the very depth of their core, as you like to remind me often, to fix me, the body keeps the score. But the pieces of me I thought had gone were waiting for me somewhere else. I was forming another version of me with a stronger sense of self. I could see glimmers of her in momentary flashes. It took some time, but she started to emerge, rising from the ashes. I'm not asking you to let me go. I'm telling you, I'm on my way. And whilst I'm at it, you'll never have another opportunity to make me obey. I'm sorry you have so much pain that you chose to act as you do. But for me, I'll no longer take the part in your play, The Taming of the Shrew. I think we can just let that one sit there on its own, but it just, it speaks so beautifully to just the awakening of uh, that it's okay to have your own thoughts and opinions and to recognize how unhealthy that control and manipulation is in a relationship. And uh, I will beat this drum every chance I get that that is not part of a healthy human relationship. You're allowed to have your own thoughts and opinions. And if you are continually trying to figure out 
how to negotiate the, the complicated nature of trying to communicate with someone else at the risk of who you are and your own self-development, then welcome, welcome to the podcast and, uh, and this getting your, in essence, your PhD in personality disorders and extreme emotional immaturity. And it can be difficult and the process can be lengthy, but there is hope. There, there is absolute hope. Let me jump right to this letter. I'm going to read this letter from a son, a teenage son that again was given full permission to share on the podcast and share with this, my women's group and emotionally immature relationships or narcissistic relationships. And then we're going to talk about narcissism and the effect on kids. The person in the group said that her son, who is 18, sent this to her to get her thoughts on it. And she said she bawled. She went downstairs. She bawled some more while hugging him and telling him how sorry she was that he had to deal with this. She said that she was racked with guilt, that she didn't know how bad it was. And then she said, I asked if I could share this with the group, and he agreed, as long as it was anonymous. And then I had asked permission to share on the podcast as well. But, and, and I believe the comment that I made to her even on the group was, I feel I'm so sorry that she feels the way that she did, but she truly did not know what she did not know. And, and I believe was 100% trying her best because this whole process of awakening to this, it can be really difficult because none of us want to think that we ever put our kids in a position where they weren't uh, allowed to, to grow and thrive and emotionally mature because the people that are waking up to this and themselves have to come to this realization of what that's been like for them to even start to understand what that's been like for their kids. And this is where I just, I implore you to give yourself grace beyond anything else. Because if you are listening to this, if you're starting to do your homework, if you're starting to recognize and learn the things you didn't know that you didn't know, then you are changing the dynamic and the pattern in your family. There's no doubt about that. And your kids will appreciate that. And uh, it may take a while and some will be like the, this letter that I'm going to read. And they're going to, they're going to really understand that, boy, you weren't aware of what you weren't aware of just as they weren't as well. And so the fact that you are starting to open up to this will give them a, a voice because you're going to be a safer place for them to be able to share and express their feelings and emotions. So here's the letter. And the son said for dad, LOL been working on this. Let me know what you think. And then it had the crying face emoji. So, I mean, you can tell that, that he's saying, okay, you know, here we go. We'll see how this, how this goes. So the letter that he wrote, the teenage son said, I, I hate you. I think you should know that. I've thought about you a lot recently, actually. And I realized something. I have no happy memories with you. Everyone I have, there's a sense of fear or guilt or anger or something along those lines that pops up. I avoid you now. Because anytime I speak to you, there's an inescapable feeling of rage that boils up. So if I just pause, I wasn't going to commentate on the letter itself. But even this teenage boy and boys that, that most teenage boys like to watch cartoons, eat cereal, play video games and compartmentalize. So the fact that his own body keeps the score is pretty phenomenal. That even when he's in the same room, he has that inescapable feeling of rage that boils up. So back to the letter. Like I said, there's no happy memories. You know what I do remember? I remember you telling me not to wear my favorite color to school because it was a girly color. And he said, literally, it was red. I remember you commanding me from the couch to refill your whiskey glass. I remember you driving 80 to 90 miles an hour on gravel roads at night, drunk with me and others in the car. As you swerved all over, being scared for, uh, not being scared for myself and the other's safety. I remember you blocking the doors out of the house, stealing my keys so I couldn't get away from you. I remember walking miles down a driveway in boots with no socks to get away from you. 
so that mom could drive over an hour to come and get me. I remember you throwing me around into the walls of the house. I remember you throwing me into the bathtub when I was younger because I accidentally woke others up before school. I remember the sound of you screaming in my face and I could smell your nasty breath from it. I remember the emotional manipulation that you put me through. You made me feel guilty for seeing who you are. And as I got older and I learned more, you got angrier. I remember you playing with my emotions to make me uh, compete in sports year after year when it was clear that I didn't enjoy those particular sports and the list goes on and on. So I'm thinking about all these things and I realize that you never saw me as a human being and you still don't. You have no sense of respect or love for me. I'm nothing more than an extension of yourself in your eyes. You made me do the things that you wanted me to do my whole life with no regard for what I wanted. I realized that what you wanted so badly for me to be was something that you were... I realized that you wanted so badly for me to be something because you're nothing. You're a liar, a manipulator, and an abuser, nothing more. You wanted to parade me and my siblings around like prized possessions to make up for the fact that you've done nothing inherently good your whole life. You want to throw it in mom's face that you've got more money than her and you can afford to buy all these things, but you still don't manage to pay your child support on time because you don't give a crap about us, which sucks because your money is the only thing you're good for. I've also realized through all of this that you don't love me and that the only reason you say it so much is to make up for the fact that you don't and to try to convince yourself that you do. You're a pathetic father, a sad man, any decent man is supposed to protect his children and loved ones, not be the person that endangers and hurts them. I'm done talking to you. Even after all these years, you're still putting on an act for everybody else. You still want to portray yourself as the almighty loving father and take credit for everything you didn't do and then deny the blame for everything you did do. I see your whole act of, and got in quotes, changing out in public, but you're still the same miserable, horrible person when it really comes down to it and when you're behind closed doors. Don't respond to this. Don't try talking to me. I'm done with it. Just sit, just read it and sit in it. So you can feel that emotion. And I'm, I'm trusting that if you are already here and listening to this podcast, that there isn't judgment at all on that letter that it, there's empathy, compassion, there's, uh, you can feel the strength and, and the, just the anger and the, the power and the, just trying to see someone take control of their life. And, and at 18, to have to have this kind of awareness over some human being, you know, you hear that concept of an old soul. And sometimes it sounds like it's pretty cool. Like this 16 year old is going to fire up a bass guitar and, and play jazz. Like, uh, that's your old soul. But, Really, an old soul is somebody that has not been able to really find their sense of self as a kid, and they've been having to figure out how to survive and how to cope and how to not get in trouble and how to protect siblings sometimes and how to just say, man, there's nothing I can do right now. I got to get out instead of just being a kid and being a teenager and just caring about school and relationships and movies and all the things that a teenager is missing out on. Because they have to grow up and they have to protect and they have to uh, learn to read the room and manage others' expectations. So I'm just, I'm grateful that he took the time to write this, that he shared it with his mom, that his mom shared it with the group. And so I, I often find myself getting asked questions about children and co-parenting with a narcissist and staying in the relationship so that at least they have a mom or a dad, whoever is the more emotionally immature. And I try to I feel like tiptoe around this because I, I, I don't know what a divorce is like because I, I'm, I'm still married. My parents didn't divorce and, but I work in this world of divorce and it's easy for me to say that in these emotionally immature relationships, 
that when somebody gets out of that emotionally immature relationship and finds themselves, that they also become a completely different person in the way that they show up with their kids. And when a kid gets their own sense of self through external validation, that then when they, that you can really reverse the tide of, of who that kid is or what it feels like to be them if you become this, not just a safe place where they can then dump and share emotions about the more emotionally immature parent, but where you can actually start to build that secure attachment with them so they can go out and explore and be and do and know that they have a safe place to come back to and that your interaction with them isn't constantly talking about, hey, watch out or things you, you know, make sure you don't do this or I understand, I understand how frustrating it is. But if it's more about, hey, how was your day and what was that like and how's your job going and what do you want to be when you grow up and what's that relationship like and and what do you like about the, the, this boy or this girl? And I mean, that's the way you build a, a real relationship, not trying to continually figure out, okay, how do we all manage this? How do we see how we approach mom or how we approach dad, whoever the, the more emotionally immature person is? So on that note, I want to get into an article that I really do appreciate. And uh, the article is it's from Psychology Today, and it's titled How Narcissistic Parenting Can Affect Children. And this Carol McBride, she's got a, a PhD, clinical psychology. And then she, again, is author of this book that is I highly recommend. The book is called Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Healing the Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers. She's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she has 30 traits of how narcissistic parenting affects children. So I'm going to read just a couple of paragraphs that she has as part of this article. And then I'm going to go through that list. And I'm sure that I'll comment on some of those, if, if not all of those, how narcissistic parenting affects the children. She says, why does it matter if a parent is, narciss is a narcissist? How does that hurt a child? She said, you might be asking this question if you're a person that is currently co-parenting with a narcissistic ex, someone raised by a narcissistic parent, or one who's in a relationship currently with a narcissist, or if you're a divorce professional working on a case that involves a narcissistic parent. And I'll put that out there right now. I, I now understand a lot of therapists listen to Waking Up the Narcissism. I'm grateful for that. I am so grateful for the ones that reach out and want to be a part of the women's group or one that would love to talk about this uh, as a group of therapists so that we can start to really address this population. But I also have a thread in the group that is talking about experiences in therapy that have been detrimental because if someone, if you are going to a professional who is not familiar with emotional immaturity or narcissistic personality disorder or traits or tendencies, then it can actually be, I feel, pretty detrimental because you're often being told that you're you're just buying into the hype of narcissism and you, what will let, what are you doing and what can you do and just stand up to him or her, just tell them and all of those things are things that can actually end up making things worse because you're engaging, you're letting the person see, you're letting the narcissist see your buttons to push and they will do so. Carol says, given my research and clinical experience, I want to provide some education and awareness about how this disorder hurts children. She said, first, let me explain that narcissistic personality disorder is misunderstood when applied to someone who is just boastful, arrogant, and all about themselves. So while these traits are annoying and not fun to be around, narcissism is a deeper, more destructive disorder that has devastating effects on the people and relationships with the individual. It's a difficult disorder to treat, and some do believe it's untreatable. And she said the cornerstones of the disorder are lack of empathy and the inability to tune into the emotional world of others. And I, I am hearing, I don't want to be dramatic, but on a fairly regular basis that from those who don't understand what narcissism really is or emotional immaturity is that just the fact of the, that the word is being used causes a visceral reaction and people tune out. And I've also been uh, told pretty regularly that the shifting, I've been intentional on shifting 
the word narcissism to emotional immaturity and that, yeah, that's a lot more palatable. And then we can all take a look at where the areas that we are emotionally immature. And then the key difference is the, are the people that are um, willing to then sit with the discomfort of the things that they are facing and that, that is uncomfortable for them as a human being or as an adult. And then are they willing to then self-confront and, and do something? So then when somebody will inevitably, maybe even right now, the, the kind person is saying, okay, I got it. Tony finally gets it. He's telling me I'm the narcissist. You are not if you are listening to this because you are trying to do something. You are try, you, you're, you're obviously uncomfortable and you're out there seeking help even though you're, just, you're uncomfortable. So that is this, on this road of empathy. And, and so you are literally tuning into the emotional world of others because you're worried about how you're responding to your maybe narcissistic spouse in this, what we now know is a reactive issue, a reactive abuse issue, or you're worried about, am I doing damage to my kids? So you've already broken the rules of being a narcissist. You are not lacking empathy. You're maybe overly empathetic because you are just, what is wrong with me? I got to figure this out. And then you uh, absolutely are able to tune into the emotional world of others. Maybe even your tuning fork is is on high alert. That if you've ever used a tuning fork, which I haven't, that might have made no sense. If we go back to Carol's list, so she has a list of how does narcissistic parenting affect children? The child won't feel heard or seen. The child's feelings and re- reality will not be acknowledged. And I just did an episode a week or so ago talking about the emotional uh, abandonment that is there in our childhood that then we bring into our adulthood that we don't even recognize is not, quote, normal. And that is, if you are trying to manage your relationship with your parent as a child, then there is a, a highly, I mean, I'm going to say it's pretty much a given that you your emotions are not being acknowledged and you are not being asked to be uh, taken on your train of thought about how you're feeling or what you're thinking about a situation. It's if you are trying to express emotion, you're probably getting a lot of either just indifference, a flat affect, or a not right now, or well, you need to get over it, or how do you think that makes me feel? Or you got the version of emotional maturity or narcissism where a parent then says, no, I get it. Let me tell you stories of my high school days and how I overcame it. And so the fact that if you look at how great I am, and then if you aren't doing the same, then it shows that you are not as good as I am. And then if you don't listen to me, then I can say, well, I told you. And then if you try to do what I'm asking you to, because it won't feel authentic to you, then I get to say you're not even doing it right. So it's a no, it's a no win situation when you're trying to even express yourself as a kid to an emotionally immature narcissistic parent. The child will be treated like an accessory to the parent rather than a person. The child will be more valued for what they do, usually for the parent than for who they are as a person. And I think that the letter that this teenager wrote that, that I read earlier, starts to feel of that quite a bit. You're valued for what you do. You're only as good as what you do for others. I mean, that is a way you truly lose your sense of self. And that's where the pathologically kind people that find themselves in, again, what Russ uh, Rosenberg so well says, the human magnet syndrome, is that uh, you are in this place of self-love deficit. So you feel like you are only as good as what you do. And so what do you do? You continue to try to do for others to try to, to get them to love you. And that, that is working absolutely counter to the fact that you are of worth and lovable as a human being. And so if you are trying to get people to recognize or acknowledge you or love you, then that is you're not in a healthy relationship. The child will not learn to identify or trust their own feelings 
and will grow up with crippling self-doubt. Here's what This is what I tried to identify last week, is that if you're not allowed to explore your feelings and emotions, if you're continually told that they're wrong or not now or just get over it or don't worry about it, then you are continually given this message that your feelings, you don't even understand them, they're wrong, and look at how that they make me feel. So now all of a sudden, I can't trust my own gut. I can't think on my own. And what am I doing now? I'm now actually going to start going to this person to, to ask for their advice or their opinion or what they think I should do. And they don't have my best, my, they don't have what's good for me in mind. It's, oh, well, what can I do? How can I manipulate this in the moment? And that's that form of, of really, it's, it's a form of betrayal trauma where you're starting to go to this person. If you're a kid to your parent or if you're a husband or wife to your more emotionally narcissistic spouse, and you're saying, hey, here's my heart and uh, I need some help in managing emotions because we are inherently designed to deal with emotion in concert with another human being. It's part of our attachment. But then that other human being is taking that, uh, taking advantage of that opportunity and manipulating it for their own gain. The child will be taught that how they look is more important than how they feel because when there is a, a real lack of knowing or understanding your kid and if they are only as good as the things they do or how they make you feel as a, an emotionally immature parent, then they need to look the part. They need to look the part of if you look a certain way, then that makes me look better as a parent. The child will be fearful of being real and will instead be taught that image is more important than authenticity. And this is part of that when I talk about abandonment and attachment issues that uh, we bring into our relationships is that I'm so afraid that if I am being real, that then I may lose this other person. Now, if a kid grows up with a secure attachment to their parent, and if they know that it is absolutely okay to be them, whatever that looks like, that whatever they like to do. And, and again, I feel like this is where the emotionally immature persons listen to this, which I'm sure they haven't, they wouldn't have made it 24 minutes in at this point. But it's like, oh, okay, so if they just want to go shoot heroin between their toes all day, then I got to support that. If you're at that point right now, okay, you've already been looking to pick apart this entire podcast. So uh, there's not much that I can do to convince you. But if they want to go be a, I don't know, if they want to go be an explorer and then a pirate and then an astronaut, and then they want to uh, become a surgeon, and then they want to uh, raise bunnies, and then they want to, you know, the, I want to go on that journey with them the whole way. Because if any of that becomes a, I don't think that would be good for you, champ. Why am I saying that? Because I have no idea what it feels like to be them. So don't be the person that gets in the way of the hopes and dreams of your spouse or your kid. Because the, the reality is that doesn't mean that they're going to all of a sudden want to be a pirate astronaut who raises bunnies. The thing is that, that if they feel like, oh, it's okay for me to say that I want to do that. Actually, I, I, I don't know if I really even want to. But if I'm continually told, no, there aren't even pirates anymore, whatever that looks like, well, then what, how, what do I feel like? Okay, I feel kind of dumb. And I don't know if I'm going to keep bringing my hopes and dreams to you as a, my parents, because you're shooting those down. And what? And I had someone in my office recently, and all the person said was they wanted to, to look at going to a particular grad school. And the parent immediately said, eh, that's too difficult. And I just thought, wow, that was within seconds of this person sharing something that no doubt they've been thinking about for quite some time. And then they were met with their parent who doesn't even really know, hey, take me on your train of thought. Tell me more about that. And they just said, no, you wouldn't be able to do that. And in essence, implying that, hey, uh, that's really difficult. I don't think you can do difficult things and you're not very smart. So then this person just said, okay, well, I guess I will not open up about anything again. 
The child will be taught to keep secrets, to protect the parent and the family. Boy, triangulation. Hey, don't tell your mom. Don't tell your dad. Those, uh, that is not a healthy way to, to live because then the child is now, again, going to feel like anything they say, boy, am I, was I, am I going to get anybody in trouble? Was this, wait, am I, is dad going to get mad at me because I said something to mom or, or vice versa? And, and the child will not be encouraged to develop their own sense of self. It goes right back to that secure attachment. They're trying to figure out what they can do to then please me. I was going to say, I'm going to be dramatic and throw out a very uh, controversial thing. And it's not that. But I was with one of my daughters, actually two of my daughters over the weekend, and we had gone to help paint my my daughter Mackie's new salon. So a matter of fact, plug to if you are, if you live in the Provo Orem area of Utah, then look up at Beauty by Mackie on Instagram. And she's, uh, she's an amazing cosmetologist. But I, I had some of my nieces and nephews there while we were doing this. And it was late at night. And it's just so fun to talk to the kids these days. Listen to how old I sound. But when we were talking about, they were saying, you know, a couple of them are graduating college and they're not 100% sure what they want to do. And, and they were almost expressing that like, I know I should know. And I said, oh, you know, if I can just speak from some experience as a human being and throw the therapist card in there as well, that I, I feel like it's very rare that somebody at the age of 22 says, I think I know what I want to do for the next 50 years of my life that I've made this choice over the last two or three as an emotionally immature individual. But in reality, if you if you are just on the path of just trying to learn and do and be, that then you're going to develop your sense of self. Now, the controversial point I made was I just threw out there that I've worked with enough people that are people like lawyers and doctors and some of those professions that you've had to spend a tremendous amount of, edu- of schooling on. And just I'm just talking about anecdotal evidence that I have as a therapist for 15, 16, 17 years and talking with some of those professionals. And then I'm getting them in their mid-30s to early 40s and their midlife crisis phase. And that's because when we sometimes dig back and, and go deep, they wanted to be the, let's just take a doctor, for example, as long as they can remember. But when you go back and look at why, that it was because whenever they said, I want to be a doctor, you watch the parents beam because, boy, talk about external validation. And then whenever you talk to your friends and if your friends say, I don't even know what I want to do. And if you, you say, I want to be a doctor, then all of a sudden everybody kind of lights up and like, oh, that's cool. You know, and then if you're a kid, oh, you're going to be so rich and you're going to get to do all these cool things. So then the person got the validation and then that might have carried them all the way even through medical school. For some, it hasn't. For some, they get two or three years in. And then at that point, they're in a crippling amount of debt and they feel stuck. They really do. Or others, I remember talking to a podiatrist a long time ago and he was talking about, we were looking at scheduling and he said, I can't come in on, it was like Tuesdays or Thursdays because those are surgery days. And I said, oh my gosh, what is that like? I mean, that's just got to be crazy. And then he just said, you know, he's like, after about the 2000th time that I release a plantar fascia, he just said, yeah, not so crazy. They all kind of look the same. And, and I just thought, oh, that to, to that person that is, was thinking this will be amazing. They just have foot lined up after foot lined up and slice cut into that, release a, a, a plantar, you know, release the fascias to get rid of the plantar fasciitis. And, and so he said, I, I don't mind surgery. He said it's still a little bit cooler than just the office days. But the only point that I'm making is that, boy, when you know or you think you know that young, a lot of times that's because of that, I believe, that external validation from parents. So the child won't be encouraged to develop their own sense of self. They may want to then say the things that will get the, if they are just truly being an extension of their emotionally immature narcissistic parent, then if they say, I'm going to be a whatever, and the parent goes, yeah, that's, that's my boy, you know, then they're going to be driven more to do that, even if that isn't something they feel passionate about. 
The child will feel emotionally empty and not nurtured. The child will learn not to trust others because, boy, if you've grown up in an emotionally immature household, there are going to be times where you have said something and, and you felt like that was in confidence, but then your narcissistic parent has then told somebody else. That is That one happens so often. And it's because that narcissistic parent in that moment is getting the validation off of you giving them uh, a secret. Man, promise you won't say anything, mom. And it's like, yeah, you bet, champ. And then as soon as I, mom's talking to her sister, well, no, I just told her because she lives in a different state. Or then telling a neighbor, well, I, no, I told them, but they don't, I mean, they don't run in the same circles as you do. So it's like, oh, I'll absolutely keep your promise. I mean, until I don't. That's basically the creed of the narcissist in a sense. And the child will learn, yeah, and that's not trusting. The child will feel used and manipulated. And I feel like that's where you start getting the vibes of highly sensitive people or the body keeps the score. The child will be there for the parent rather than the other way around as it should be. And that's what starts to create that anxious attachment vibe is that when the child needs the parent from an emotional standpoint and the parent is, it's not a good time, which I, and I know we're all human, but I want to say, which should not be the answer because if you're the parent, then I, I would love for you to model the fact that, hey, for you, it now is a good time because this now isn't about me. It's about the tiny human being that I've helped create. In that scenario, then you're going to be there for your kid. Because if it's the other way around, that's where you start seeing this anxious attachment show up in adult relationships where you've said, all I ever wanted to do was feel heard and understood. And then when the spouse finally says, okay, I hear you and I want to understand you, it can feel emotionally overwhelming and engulfing. And it really can. Uh, the child's emotional development will be stunted. The child will feel criticized and judged rather than accepted and loved. And that's, again, where we have this vibe where we say, hey, champ, you can come and talk to me about anything. And then you come and say, I think I want to quit school or I think I want to join the army or I think I want to. And if the parent is saying, OK, that's that's just ridiculous. Why do you know how much time and effort I put into your schooling or it really I didn't teach you well enough to want to continue to be an attorney like me. And so when you're putting that vibe out again, it is all about you, not your kid. And so in that scenario, then the kid's going to feel criticized and judged. Uh, the child will grow frustrated trying to seek love, approval, and attention, and attention to no avail, which will often then lead them to looking for external sources to provide them with the love, approval, and attention. And, and I'll just talk about, I was speaking at a, a conference not long ago, and somebody had asked a question about oh, all the kids these days, everybody's smoking pot these days was the way that the question was put. And I just said, here's the, the challenge. And, and I'm with the, I'm with them on that. I feel like I still grew up in the time where, you know, that was the stoner. And I don't know what it's like to be a kid that is in their early twenties that has, in essence, grown up with in most of the states, it's legal. So that's a whole different ballgame. But I mentioned that I often talk with kids that when they were feeling judged by their peers and, and especially if, if you're, I work in an area where there are a lot of people that are part of a religious community. And so then if that religious community says, hey, we're all together, we're all a community. But now within that community, let me do some judging. You drink energy drinks or your shorts are too short or you uh, you swear. Yeah, we're all the same, except for now I'm going to judge you about those things. And I said, but pot, that world is no respecter of persons that there we don't care what you're wearing or what you're saying or what you're doing. Because we all have this this shared sense of purpose, which is it's it's sad in that regard. But so in that scenario, though, it, they're going to find love, approval, and attention. And if that is not provided in the home, then they will seek that elsewhere. The child will grow up not feeling good enough. The child won't have a healthy role model for emotional connection, 
which then starts leading into the, when I say we don't have the tools from the factory to be able to communicate in a healthy way or to hold boundaries. Cause just, I, I feel like I want to say, just remember that if you have grown up with a secure attachment as a child, and now you're a teenager and you know that you're okay because your parent has never continued to, I mean, they haven't hammered you with, I can't believe you said that, or I, I don't, I, you know what that, how that impacts me. If you've just been able to say and feel and be, and now you go on a date and somebody says, oh, I don't think you should do that in college, then your radar is going to be off the charts. You're going to think, okay, that's, I wasn't asking you for your opinion on what I should do with my career. But if you've been judged and, and manipulated and not heard or seen, and so you've tried to recognize, man, how do I show up so I don't get this person mad? And then you say, you know, I want to be a, I don't know, computer programmer. And then that person, the person that you're sitting across the table from who you don't even really know, and they say, oh boy, I've heard that those uh, computer programmers, you know, they work long hours or, or they sleep in all the time or, you know, you have to drink uh, four liters of Mountain Dew every day and, and they rot their teeth. I don't know whatever it would be. But then if you as a person then go, yeah, maybe I don't want to be one. Maybe I don't want to be a computer programmer. That That's insane. I want the the person who wants to be the computer programmer showing up at a date. And if they've grown up and their parent has said, what do you want to do? And they've already explored pirate. They've already looked at astronaut, but they kind of found a sense of purpose with computer programming. So then the parent may not know anything about computer programming, but that doesn't mean that then, oh, you think you're better than me or smarter than me, but it's a holy cow, this is incredible that they're already finding and enjoying something. Let me get them all the computer stuff they need. And let me now ask them questions like, uh, hey, what are you working on? And I, what is that like? And how hard is that? And what do you love about it? Imagine being that parent. Now that computer programmer goes out into the dating world. And if anybody says, I don't think you should do that, they're saying, I don't understand why you're telling me what you think I should do. I mean, we're just here trying to order appetizers at this point and get to know each other, not tell each other what to do which I think that's the big key there, which then leads into, she says, the child will not learn appropriate boundaries for relationships. The child won't learn healthy self-care, but instead will be at risk of becoming codependent, taking care of others to the exclusion of taking care of self, not wanting to rock the boat, not you know, wanting to then question my sense of self because that's what it's been like to be me growing up in a home where the parent was even letting you know that they did things better than you when they were your age. The child will have a difficulty with the necessary individuation from the parent as he or she grows older. I was talking with somebody recently and we were talking about uh, the enmeshment that they felt as they, after they got married, where their parent still felt they wanted to say, I don't know, you don't seem like yourself. And this person was saying, no, I actually feel better than I've felt before with this connection with my new spouse. But the narcissistic parent, they, they are, they were not in essence saying, okay, we have done all we can do and we have created a secure attachment with our, with this person. And now we hand them into the world of, of marital relationships, this uh, individuated person. And, and they are now going to go, now go, go and couple and thrive and start to form a secure attachment with your spouse. And then you guys will live happily forever. And we're over here. And if you need us, let's, uh, let's go on vacations together. No, it's, hey, let's talk every you know, couple times a week and let me just make it all about myself. And let me start to tell you that you don't seem like yourself. When in reality, that means that you don't understand who I am. The child will get a mix of a mixed and crazy making messages of do well, make me proud as an extension of the parent, but don't do too well and don't outshine me because then you're going to think that you're better than me. I, I hope my kids turn out better than me, please. That would be a wonderful thing. Because, you know, we want to, I hope we want to advance those generations and every generation gets, gets better. That would be a wonderful thing. Uh, it, I doesn't, I don't need to always have felt like I was better than all of my kids. 
It's crazy. If the child outshines the parent, then the, they may experience jealousy from the parent. The child is not taught to give credit to self when deserved. You know, there's a, one of the things that drives me crazy is this concept around it's so bad to be, to be proud of yourself. Pride. Pride is bad. No, there's a healthy ego and healthy ego changes the world. Healthy ego is based off of real life experience. If you can help somebody find the real sense of self and security, and then they start to go and do and achieve and explore, they, they change the world. But if that person is always worried about, I don't want to make anybody mad. And yeah, maybe I don't want to do that. Then they're, they're taught to burn all these emotional calories, just trying to figure out how to manage emotion, emotional relationships around them and try to figure out, is it okay to be me? Uh, wait, I don't even know who I am. Versus the person that has been given the secure attachment. And again, they are going out and doing and being and finding and discovering and loving and, and connecting because that will, without that, the child, again, if they haven't been taught to give credit where their own credit is due or self-deserved, ultimately they'll start to suffer from a level of post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, and adulthood. The child will grow up believing that he or she is unworthy and unlovable because if my parent can't love me, then who will? Boy, that one resonates. If you create that secure attachment and that love with your kid and they know that they are worthy of love, then they don't, are, are they're going to be less likely to find themselves in relationships where they're trying to prove their, their worth or their love. They just get to be and do. The child will often become either a high achiever or a self-saboteur or both. High achiever because I'll be darned if I'm going to, that's the only way I got my validation. So I got to go above and beyond and, and, and I got to go overboard. And then I have to even puff myself up because I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm, I'm good. Look, you'll love me now if I'm really special, right? And this one's hard. That The last one that uh, she talks about is the child will need trauma recovery and will have to, to reparent themselves in adulthood. Carol then concludes her article by saying being raised by a narcissistic parent is emotionally and psychologically abusive. And it causes debilitating, long-lasting effects on children. It's often missed by professionals because the narcissist or emotional immature person can be charming in their presentation, displaying uh, an image of how they wish to be seen. Now, behind closed doors, the children feel the suffocation and self of self and struggle with loneliness and pain. The narcissist is not accountable for their own mistakes or behaviors, so the child believes that they are to blame, that they flunked childhood. It's sad, but I appreciate the way she says that. Uh, she said, having worked as a mental health provider with thousands of children, as well as the adult children of narcissistic parents, she said, I see the above symptoms over and over again. And and boy, amen to that. I agree. And this is what I love uh, that she said, because I think this says this so well. The lifestyles differ and the stories differ, but they all have the same emotional banners. And it's quite a list. And it takes serious recovery work to get better and feel better. So she said, if you are the other parent or part of the extended family and are trying to ward off the effects of a narcissistic parent, then you'll have to double do, you'll have to do double duty as the responsible one. And the best approach is to parent with empathy, the antithesis of narcissism. If you are a divorce professional working with a case that involves a narcissist, help the kids by first really understanding the dynamics of the disorder. Don't minimize it. Make sure the children are in therapy and learning assertiveness skills to use with the parent who does not emotionally tune into them. Put the kids first. And I feel like in the work that I do, it really is, um, uh, approach the, the pathologically kind person with empathy the antithesis of narcissism and help, uh, help that person realize that uh, they need to understand the dynamics of the disorder, even if it's just along the lines of the emotional immaturity, don't minimize it. And, and then if I'm talking to them, hopefully they are in therapy and they're learning these skills. Now, the place where I feel like a little bit different is that 
learning those assertiveness skills can be okay, but sometimes that's going to be just from a place of I, I need to practice being heard and seen, even if I recognize that is not going to be the case, but it's going to start to help define what it feels like to be you. So I hope this one resonated. If you, if you feel like this would help anyone in their situation, feel free to forward it. If you have additional questions for me, reach out at contact at tonyoverbay.com and, uh, or uh, get a hold of me through Instagram um, at I think tonyoverbay underscore LMFT or TikTok if that continues to be a thing. Um, tick the TikTok therapy, the tick, my TikTok account just cracks me up. Um, because it's so, it's so funny to watch uh, just little random, uh, uh, videos that can be a minute, two minutes go from just a few thousand views to all of a sudden you just watch one just kind of take off for no reason. And then, uh, you, you refresh every hour and it's another, I don't know, 20, 30,000 views. And, and it's just, uh, it's interesting to see what people connect with. Most of the stuff does have to do with traits and tendencies around narcissism or emotional immaturity. So it's just fascinating. Okay. Have an amazing week and I will see you next time on Waking Up the Narcissism. <laughs>